Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Tuesday, October 18. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer, and welcome to our weekly market update. None of the news over the past week has been particularly good news for markets. For one thing, the minutes of the Federal Reserve's September meeting were released and showed it thought inflation remains unacceptably high and price increases are slowing less than it expected. Then we got the Consumer Price Inflation Index for September, and that was a real stinker. Actually, the headline reading wasn't that bad. Consensus was looking for 8.1% year-on-year. Actual number came in at 8.2. But the more important number, because it's what the Federal Reserve pays attention to, is the core inflation reading that excludes food and energy. And that was up 6.6% year-on-year from 6.3% in August and higher than what the consensus was expecting, which was a 6.5% rise. That core September inflation reading also has the dubious distinction of being the highest since 1982. The August reading was the highest since 1986. To be fair, there were some items whose prices went down. Some important items, too, like fuel oil, gasoline, electricity, food at home, cars. So we can broadly say the goods components are falling. And that, no pun intended, is a good thing. But the item that remains sticky, in fact, it was 40% of the move in the core inflation, was rent inflation. And that only slows with a delay relative to property prices and the rental prices themselves. So that was a disappointment to our economists. They were hoping for a clear sign of a peak, and they felt compelled to revise our rate forecasts higher. Until last week, they thought the Fed would only hike by 50 basis points at its November meeting and then pause. Now they're looking for 75 basis points in November and then another 50 basis points in December. But that's not the end of the bad news. The widely followed University of Michigan Consumer Survey was also released and it showed a rise in inflationary expectations in September for the first time in seven months. Respondents are now looking for inflation one year forward to be 5.1% versus the August expectation of 4.6%. Excluding autos, we also had some retail sales numbers that were 0.7% higher than what they were in August. And that was more than the 0.5% the consensus had expected. And that suggests that even after five interest rate hikes since March, the last three of which were 75 basis points each, the consumer is still strong. And that could lead the Federal Reserve to conclude that even if Wall Street is hurting, Main Street's doing just fine. On a similar vein, even though financial condition indicators are as tight as they've been since the global financial crisis, credit card delinquencies remain at an all-time low. Now, the bond market is reacting to all this exactly the way it should. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note is yielding about 4%, and that's the highest it's been since 2008. The odd man out in the financial markets is the stock market, because truth be told, It shouldn't like any of this. It shouldn't like higher interest rates. It shouldn't like tighter financial conditions. It certainly doesn't like inflation that's stronger than expected. It wants to see signs of an economy that's softening, not strengthening, so the Federal Reserve can take its foot off the pedal. So you'd think the stock market should be going down. But it's not. In fact, on the very day that hot September inflation reading came out, the S&P 500 index registered a 
massive intraday swing of 6.3%. And after last night's 2.7% move and the way futures are trading today, it looks like the peak of Friday morning last week is going to be taken out very soon. That's curious, to say the least, because the consensus, judging by the financial media, still thinks this is a bear market where you sell the rallies. But increasingly, there's also a view creeping into that consensus thinking that, given the market's already down 23% this year, given we're in what's historically been a good time seasonally, with December showing on average the best returns since 1950, October's got the third best returns, November's got the sixth best returns, to top it off, we're getting close to the congressional elections in November 8. Historically, the three months following midterm elections see gains of 8% on average. So given all of that, there's also a view creeping into the consensus thinking that maybe this particular rally does have stronger legs than the other ones this year. Maybe it's a tradable rally, at least into the midterm election, maybe even into the end of the year. Well, here I should say that is not our view. We do not think this is a bear market rally. We think this is the bottom of the bear market. But instead of the kind of sharp rises like the one we saw last Thursday, we'd rather the market to kind of trundle sideways for a while because from a technical perspective, that would allow it to build a base and offer much stronger support for an eventual move higher. But I should say that it's actually in bear markets that you get the biggest percent gaining days. It's right at the end of the bear markets when almost no one believes that the bear market is over. Now the question to ask is, why would this be the bottom of bear market? And for one thing, there's inflation. Yes, the front page readings are stubbornly high, but if you look under the hood, there's lots of signs it's gonna come down. Property prices started falling in June, and according to RealPage, a property management software company, asking rents fell in September for the first time since December 2020. Health insurance should also be down sharply in October due to an accounting quirk. Then we have only to look at freight rates down 70% from their peaks a year ago as evidence that supply chains are normalizing. And so used cars, for example, whose prices were up 50% last year and were a third of the overall inflation. Well, last month, their prices actually fell for the first time since May 2020. And there's a great deal of criticism of the Federal Reserve from important members of the political and economic community that it risks causing a financial crisis and a recession. For example, Harvard professor Greg Mankiw said, steering the economy is like steering a large ship. It moves very slowly, and once you return the helm to normal, it keeps going. It's easy for a novice to overreact, and then if you turn too much in the other direction, it can be a source of instability rather than stability. Then there was Lindsay Owens of the liberal think tank The Groundwork Collaborative who said, the risks tied to the Fed's approach are like the frog that sits in a pot of gradually boiling water. You don't know you're cooked until it's over. The EU's top diplomat, Joseph Borrell, said that central banks were being forced to follow the Fed's multiple rate rises to prevent their currencies from slumping against the dollar. Everybody has to follow, he said, because otherwise their currency will be devalued. And there's other voices from the economic elite, too. Morris Obstfeld, the former chief economist at the IMF, said central banks may be underestimating the speed with which inflation could fall as their economies slow. The danger is that they collectively go too far and drive the world economy 
into an unnecessarily harsh contraction. So comments like these might cause some reflection at the Fed. And I might add, lastly but not least, the risk of China suddenly opening up and creating a lot of inflation is less now. It seems pretty clear from the Communist Party Congress in Beijing that China's not going to open up in any meaningful way or lift its zero COVID policies. And tellingly, a Congress spokesman said, quote, the growth rate is no longer the only thing that matters, unquote. So in the United States, we do see inflation coming down and slower growth in the months ahead, but not an outright contraction. And even if there is an outright contraction, a mild recession, well, the market down 23% from early January has already priced that in. Putting it all into consideration, we reduced half our hedges on the S&P last week, and we're looking to remove the other half into the end of the year. Large cap quality growth stocks that have lost about a third of their value since their peak are unusually attractive in our view. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and I'll speak with you again next Tuesday. Goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.